Okay, let's pray. Dear Father God, thank you for your word, for its life-giving truth, for its wisdom and its enduring hope. A hope that speaks throughout scripture that you are with us. I pray today that you will use me, your nervous servant, utterly ill-equipped to speak to the beloved on suffering and enduring through that suffering. May my standing up here in obedience and trembling be a joyful sacrifice to you and a living sermon of your goodness in my shortcomings. Help us now to quiet our hearts and minds and be open to what you will teach us today in community. Will you activate our imaginations afresh to see and feel and desire a world where your kingdom comes? May we walk away equipped with a clear vision of what you are calling us to do. Thank you, we love you, amen. Well, good morning, beloved church family. I can't believe I'm up here again. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Lanette, and I have exactly one sermon preached under my belt. Um, and as a sense of humor of the church leadership will have it, they are having me teach on suffering today. So here's a quick reenactment of receiving the request to do another teaching. This is me a few weeks ago in prayer. Wow, Lord, I really sense that you're asking me to say yes again if I should get asked to teach again. Okay, this is from you. Okay, don't know what to do with it, but it's from you. A couple days later, get a text asking if I would want to contribute to teaching on the book of James, my favorite. Yes, yes, I love James. I felt the Spirit tell me that I should say yes. I'm gonna say, hold on. Let me just read that scripture that they want me to preach on. You also must be patient. Okay. Yes, I will preach on that. Thank you for the opportunity to inevitably learn to cultivate joyful patience in my own life. Okay. So I accept with a colossal dote of doubt, but good thing this sermon isn't relying on my cleverness or my fluency in Greek or own strengths to preach. So as I've been praying in earnest for weeks, come Holy Spirit. To be real though, stepping up here, offering up these words, I do it with great reverence. Speaking to suffering is holy ground. We've been spending the last few weeks learning from the book of James, written by Jesus' brother. As we've learned over the weeks, he is writing a pastoral letter of care and wisdom, of comfort and warning to the heavily persecuted church. Remember, he starts his letter with, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'll be honest with you, I'm not great at counting it all joy when facing troubles and hardships, as was very illustrated this flu and cold season as the primary caretaker of my young children. So buckle up as I preach to myself these caring, loving, serious words from James. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. It's a reminder that agricultural imagery would have made a lot of sense at this time. So let's see how we can um, relate it as 21st century Western Christians. See how the consumer clicks on the buy now button and has to wait patiently for two whole days for the item to arrive because he's suffering because same day delivery wasn't available. It's tough. Maybe not. So imagine this, you are a farmer. You've carefully saved your best seeds from last year's harvest. You don't waste time to get these precious seeds in the ground. The scent of dirt fills your nostrils. You know it well. This piece of earth you cultivate to get the conditions just right. You're up before the sunrise. You start to plant, your hand reaches and scatters, reaches and scatters over and over until it's all done. You know this land well. You know when to delicately weed, when it's time to weed, tend where you need tending, chase those pesky birds away for the millionth time. Then you wait. You can do nothing more. You wait. You know well what's at stake. You know what happens when the early and late rains don't come. You have a very valid and almost all-consuming reason to be anxious. You know that failed crops mean starvation for you, your family, your community. That lurks just behind the rains not coming. You wait. You also must be patient. What does that kind of waiting feel like? Yet, this is how James is asking those in pain to wait. And I think he knows he's asking something difficult, excruciating even. So I read the next part in a very loving pastoral way. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. So what are we to do with our hearts? Strengthen them. The Lord is coming. This is temporary. This will end when our hope is fulfilled. So in the meantime, we are to be patient. Actively at all costs, no matter what, patient. Patience isn't merely waiting for something to happen. That is unavoidable. Patience is a heart posture. He is asking his community to strengthen, stand firm, and most of all, endure through all the trials and adversity. To endure, according to Google, not the Greek, sorry, means to suffer something painfully something painful patiently. It also means to last, to remain. So let's replace live, laugh, love with endure, like in the house. Um, I made that, don't ask me why. If you donate to the Hudson's Bay Christmas Fund, I'll make you a print. Should make a good Christmas gift, no? I don't know. So endure. How are we to do that? Seeing as we are still waiting for the coming of the Lord. We strengthen our hearts with patience by not complaining about each other and in so wasting time, by learning from the prophets and those in history whose examples we can look up to, 
we learn that God was faithful then and he will be so again by living authentic lives um, all the while with this great expectation and alertness that he's coming. So let's dive into that with the time I have left. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge is standing at the door. There's likely many reasons that James cautions so strongly against us here. Sure, don't judge another so you will not be judged, and that is sermon-worthy in its entirety alone. But perhaps there's more. Perhaps he understands what this kind of grumbling does to a community. Some translations explain this complaining about one another as blaming each other for the problems they face. They're turning on each other. Remember, this community is under a lot of stress. I don't know about you, but when I'm under a lot of stress, I get very snappy and frankly, am an unpleasant person to live with. Sorry, husband, working on it. If we are to strengthen our hearts and stand strong with endurance, we are going to need each other. I know, especially in, in a bootstrapping, freedom, cowboy, I did it my way culture, there is this romanticized image of the tough guy enduring, like with flag-waving glory, all those life challenges that have been thrown his or her way all alone. But that's not the kingdom way. Look, the judge is standing at the door. There is little time to waste. Remember, we are but wisps of fog. So use that energy this one wild and precious life affords us to build each other up, to enlarge the beloved community of God, to stir up hope in each other when our brother or sister feels lost in despair, to be the kind of open and welcoming community that is a bright light to those suffering offering the comfort of the good news that God is with us. And you, no matter who you are, belong with us. So with that task and that anticipation before us, we simply can't be wasting time complaining about each other and making the beloved community smaller. So don't waste time on this, James cautions. Brothers and sisters, Take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Okay, question. How well do you know your prophets? So pop quiz, yell out the answer if you know. Who was sawn in half by a wooden saw? Uh, who was thrown in a hole to be eaten by wild, hungry animals? Daniel. Who was told to stop talking and driven away? Amos? Oh, maybe, maybe many people. <laughs> um, who was thrown in a damp, old water well, left to die a slow, terrible death by sinking in the cold, wet mud, and then escaped? Jeremiah. Who wept a lot? Jeremiah. Name a biblical character that was stoned to death. There's actually a lot. <laughs> James, one. Um, anyway. I think you get the vibe that being a prophet and speaking in God's name wasn't exactly hashtag blessed. Yet, James brings this up as a source of encouragement. Argent Hughes says it like this. 
James gave them real life examples of those who shone in the midst of adversity because he knew that suffering people have little patience with theory or fiction. Real stories bring real comfort. It is so clear to me in reading the Bible that storytelling is a very worthwhile spiritual practice. We are so wired for story. I use stories with my kids all the time, fables, fairy tales, poetry, uh, myths and legends, real stories of my childhood and our family. We're currently learning about the different countries through literature and it's so fun. Stories to process scary or important things. Stories from the Bible to teach kids that God is good and faithful despite our human nature. So James knows that he simply has to refer to the prophets who spoke in God's name to bring to mind these um, stories that his audience knows well because they grew up learning about them. I imagine they wondered how the prophets endured, had to picture for themselves what that blessed life looked like for them. These prophets had to know, just as we need to know that you don't, you don't just endure simply, uh, without a solid hope, without an intimate understanding of God's character, a trust and a love for him that just can't be shallow. We have some amazing examples through history too that in studying their lives, we can strengthen our hearts and stir up hope, see how imperfect people who were certainly flawed still kept at it. We can see that God was with them and that he gave them the power to endure through incredible hardships, and he will be with us. There's stories of calm and steady perseverance, of unshakable faith, leave such a legacy, and man, wouldn't that be the definition of a blessed life? Reading this text over the last few weeks have left me in, has led me in many different directions. At first, it seemed like the suffering part was really highlighted to me, so I read more about modern day, um, the, the modern day persecution of Christians. I read Job, which, let me tell you, I have tried to avoid for as long as possible. I have so many questions about Job. As a little girl, it really freaked me out that all 10 of his kids just died because God and the devil have a chat. I don't know, it freaked me out. I need like a consultation with Jace. Then I delighted in the idea of turning the sermon into a history lesson. History was my major and I love it. I wanted to learn more about the heroes of the faith till up, up until modern times. Deep dive into studying St. Francis, Catherine of Siena, Christina Rossetti, William Wilberforce, uh, Mother Teresa, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King, and wild stories of missionaries in far off places. It felt impossible to come stand in front of the com beloved community and tell them, to count it all joy and to endure for Jesus? I doubted that my limited and honestly not very persecuted life could have any value in speaking to people whom I know have lost children, have debilitating illnesses, don't know how they're gonna make rent this month, and many, many more very real, very current hardships. But then I, I felt this gentle reminder that this message, me up here saying the words this Sunday, it isn't up to my figuring out this heavy stuff or having the perfect life example with a neat and tidy ending where I say, and that's why I counted it all joy and I'm now a super mature Christian and you can be too. No, but it has been up to me to earnestly seek the Lord in preparing for today. 
It has been my struggle and my privilege to grow through this very uncomfortable exercise of bringing the Word of God Almighty on a stage to His most beloved, cherished people. I don't have the insights and the best Dallas Willard quotes like Marshall. I don't have the skills to illuminate the context like Chase does or the astonishing life wisdom of Steve's. I, I don't even have as cool an accent as Wes. But here are some things I do know. That God, our Father, is full of compassion and mercy. That he loves us beyond what we could ever comprehend. That he is with us. And that we get to tell the truth about where we're at. Like Job, like David in the Psalms. My friends know this well. I will not let you rush to silver lining something hard. We don't skip through the sad stuff just to get to the gratitude list. No, we first tell the honest truth. We lament. We are sad because sad things are sad. We feel the feelings. So maybe I can offer some of that today. Take the time you need to notice and tell the truth. Pour out your hearts to God and your trusted community. And when needed a trained professional, then take heart. Take heart and don't you dare give up. He will never leave you nor forsake you. When James brings up to mind the prophets and Job, he follows, it up, he follows it up with this great encouragement that we find all over the Bible. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Take courage. Put your hope in him for he cares for you. He's coming. Strengthen your hearts because this is worth it. This is not a life is tough, better toughen up, honey, text. It is a message of encouragement that though we are to expect suffering and hardships, we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to endure alone. We have a kind and compassionate Father who is with you. Isn't Advent just such a wonderful time to remember that God came to us to be with us saying, I know, I know I'm coming. I know, I understand, I feel it too, I am here. What a gift it is to slow down and remember that just as God's people anticipated the coming of the Lord Jesus and saw that promise fulfilled, we can hold on to the hope that he has come and the promise that one day there will be no need for patience because we're no longer waiting. There will be no need for perseverance because all suffering has ended. I wonder how Isaiah, who suffered so much, felt when he received the prophecy of the coming son who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Comfort and joy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any under oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no so that you won't fall under judgment. A very somber and serious warning to keep us from judgment. James references Jesus' words here when he um, says we have to be truthful in all we do. We are to be people of authenticity and radical truthfulness. Otherwise, what is the point? 
I like how Edmund Hebert says that following Jesus is supposed to be the path to genuine human existence. The genuine human life should issue in clear, straight, honest speaking. And it's not easy, but it is essential. This community should be such a clear contrast to a flaky world where you can find your own truth and have alternative facts. The image I see here is of a world where it would be laughable for a believer to have to swear by anything because it's so wildly known by everyone even outside of the church, that this community is solid. You can take their word to the bank. This community is the real deal. They can be trusted. I'll start by wrapping up by adding more to this image. To summarize what I believe James was instructing his audience to do and still is still a compelling call for us today. A community that has weathered many storms, individually and collectively, with an out-of-this-world grace and patience. You see them still standing, still enduring, still loving and caring for each other, a place where you can go and be honest about the hardships that you are facing and find real community care. A community of people learning from the past, finding the word of God so life-giving, inspired to persevere in unshakable faith, no matter what. Wouldn't such a community be such an inviting draw? This is the kind of mature believer I want to be. This is the kind of community I want to be a part of. I love how the Bible Project summarizes the book of James. He personally understands what it means to suffer and how pain makes us vulnerable to shame, doubt, lust, deception, anger, and pride. But he also knows that in suffering, there is a unique opportunity for God to perfect and complete the valuable character-building work he started in us. God meets us with wisdom as we face the tests of life. When we listen closely to his wise words of truth, trusting that he is good and responding with action, we begin to experience the wholeness of God designed for us. And those around us, around us experience it too. When we see our suffering through the wisdom and goodness of God, we are moved to alleviate human suffering wherever we encounter it, especially the suffering of the most vulnerable in our communities. One last story before we transition into communion. I said I don't have the perfect life story for this sermon, but I might have something. As I was reflecting on this scripture, I couldn't help but think that couldn't help but think how perfectly pregnancy illustrates some of this, especially my pregnancies. Every woman experiences it differently, and this was my experience. We didn't get pregnant right away. In fact, it took way longer than we anticipated. Then, miracle. Two lines on the pregnancy test. Such joy. Then, misery. I was so incredibly nauseous. Constantly, there was no mourning about my morning sickness, and it wasn't over by the end of the first trimester either. The exhaustion was out of this world. I suffered from depression both times. I sprained my ankle in the third trimester with Lucas, and let me tell you, people do not like seeing a pregnant woman on crutches. Um, I was still working full time, 
with my first in an office in the summer with no air conditioning, I suffered, you guys. With Peter, I remember being so incredibly nauseous that I could barely brush my teeth. I had a very active toddler who stopped napping. All the parents gasped. <laughs> I remember thinking over and over for months, I can't believe how hard this is. I'm sure it shouldn't be this hard. I didn't like pregnancy. It's not an easy thing to admit because you're supposed to be filled with joy and gratitude all the time. Well, two things can be true. I was super thankful and super suffering. Every woman, even with relatively easy pregnancies, will tell you that the last few weeks of pregnancy are insane. I just feel Anna giving me an amen from watching online or the podcast. Or maybe she's birthing her baby, I don't know. Um, and that was, that was definitely true for me. The pain, so uncomfortable, very little sleep, so anxious, so done. <laughs> All the moms are like, yeah. I also, for some reason, decided I wanted medication-free births. I don't know why. Probably the same reason it made me like move to Vietnam by myself at 23 or say yes to preaching, even though public speaking terrifies me. I'll spare you the details of birthing nine-pound babies, but trust me, I have some authority when speaking on enduring and seeing that end result be so worth it. <sighs> that moment, that slimy, crying reason for suffering was placed on my chest. Indescribable. In that moment of meeting Lucas and Peter for the first time, I knew I would walk through all that pain and suffering a thousand upon a thousand upon a thousand times again for the joy that it was becoming their mother. So worth it. Let's take communion together. <clears throat>